Hi there, welcome to this episode of the We Critique Podcast. Uh, I recorded this episode about a week and a half ago, but unfortunately, due to my classwork, since school is just beginning again, I haven't had time to finish editing it until now, and since I recorded it so long ago, I wanted to just bring up a few things that have happened since recording it. Um, one of the big things is obviously the tragic death of Chadwick Boseman, who has been suffering with colon cancer for four years, and he was an incredible talent, and I know I, for one, and many others will regret not being able to see what he would have done next, and not having his incredible voice in the world, so uh, rest in power, Chadwick Boseman. Um, on to a lighter topic. I talk in this episode about some of the trailers and news coming out of the DC Fandom event, but right after we recorded the podcast, the trailer for The Batman was released, Matt Reeves' upcoming adaptation of The Batman story starring Robert Pattinson, and since it was announced, I've been on board for Robert Pattinson being Batman. I mean, I think he's an incredible actor. I've seen him in The Lighthouse, Good Time, The King, and I'm looking forward to watching his other movies, and... He obviously has the right jawline for it. Uh, I think Zoe Kravitz is perfect casting for Catwoman. And, I mean, it should be interesting to see Colin Farrell as uh, as the Penguin, even though he's pretty much unrecognizable under all that prosthetic in the trailer. And Paul Dano as Riddler is an interesting choice. I mean, I don't think there's another villain that he would fit better. Um, speaking of the Batman... Production was about 25% done when they released the trailer, and they just finally got back to to production following their quarantine due to COVID, and now Robert Pattinson has tested positive for COVID, and they have to halt after only being back in production for a couple of days. So that is truly unfortunate. Um, another celebrity who has tested positive for COVID is Dwayne The Rock Johnson and his family, and... Um, I feel kind of bad because later in this episode, which again, I recorded long before this news came out, I sort of made fun of The Rock and his acting, but I, I don't want to at all imply that I'm like above that kind of movie. I mean, I went to see The Fate and the Furious in theaters and I enjoyed it and I, I really have nothing against the guy. He seems like a pretty awesome dude and I wish his family a fast and painless recovery. So... Now that I've gotten all that out of the way, um, enjoy the episode. Hi, welcome to the Week Critique Podcast. I'm your host, Cade Marks, and I'm joined by last episode's guest, Ian Graham. Hello. And two-time Week Critique veteran, Jacob Egestad. What's going on? Today, we're going to be talking about some news in the movies and video game industries, give impressions on some of the most recent film and game releases, and then I have a conversation with Ian about two of our favorite movies in the Week Critique's first movie swap. To wrap it all up, Ian is going to be quizzing me in my own movie trivia game, Gaglines. So, in the news, there's been a lot going on in the news. Rocksteady, the developer behind the Batman Arkham trilogy, they developed Arkham Asylum, Arkham City, and Arkham Knight, announced a couple of weeks ago that they're developing a Suicide Squad game 
I didn't see the 2016 movie. Did you see it, Jacob? Yeah, it was beautiful. Top 10 movie of all time. <laughs> all right. That's some glowing praise. <laughs> yeah. Truly. Like, it's a cinema masterpiece. True Kino right there. Sincerely, though, <laughs> what did you think of the movie? Um, <laughs> I don't remember it, but... <laughs> okay. <laughs> the general consensus was it was pretty bad. Um, so it's an interesting choice for Rocksteady to go off of their, like, streak of incredible game releases to a Suicide Squad game. I mean, I think there are a lot of fans of the more recent comic runs, so maybe it'll work out well. Since then, Ghost of Tsushima has, uh, announced a surprise free co-op online mode called Legends, which is coming this fall, apparently, and it's inspired by Japanese mythology and will have... I believe up to four players in a PvE scenario fighting against different, like, demons from Japanese mythology. So that looks pretty cool. And also, you don't always get that level of generosity from AAA developers just putting out a free game mode that everybody can play in a game that was originally just single player. So that should be interesting. Also, Call of Duty Black Ops Cold War. They released a trailer, uh, a teaser trailer, on Wednesday, the 19th, and I guess the next Call of Duty game takes place in the Cold War, which I think has only happened in, like, the original Black Ops title, right? Yes, the original Black Ops was in the Cold War. It's said in the trailer, inspired by actual events, and I don't know what the hell that means <laughs> in the context of a Call of Duty game, but... Have you seen the trailer? Yeah, I saw the teaser trailer. Like, the guy speaking in the trailer is a real dude. Right, but in the context of the game, what you're going to be doing playing the game, there's, like, no way that you're playing real people, right? Well, we'll see, I guess. Yeah, I guess we'll have to wait and see when they wait, announce wait. more about that game. So it takes place in the Cold War? Yeah. So is it just... Is there no fighting in the actual game? <laughs> it's just like a lot of, is there a lot of just, negotiations. Yeah. It's pointing like, guns at each other, but never going through with it. Yeah. Yeah. Or it's it like, just, a, like a never, domestic. Like, there's one button, and it's just like the nuke button, and the goal is to just outlast the other person yeah. so you can go the longest without hitting the button. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So that's Patience. Being, yeah, that's... Game being developed by Treyarch, who made the other Black Ops games. Um, I guess we'll just have to wait and see when they announce more about that game to actually know what it's going to be. Interesting. In other I'm news, excited. Olivia Wilde, who directed Booksmart last year, uh, reportedly signed a deal with Sony to direct a female-centric Marvel film, and she quote-tweeted the announcement of that, with a spider emoji. Hmm. <laughs> so. I wonder what that's about. Yeah. Sounds like it's going to be a Spider-Woman adaptation. And later that day, the official Marvel Entertainment Twitter account tweeted out an article titled, Seven Things to Know About Spider-Woman, and also included the spider emoji in that tweet. So, sounds like it's fair to assume that there's going to be a Spider-Woman movie coming from Olivia Wilde. So that's pretty cool. I have no brain cells, so my first thought was, oh, it's clearly Black Widow. But... That makes more that, sense, actually. Black Widow is already coming out. Yeah, I... Shut up. <laughs> Alright. And as of us recording this um, podcast, there is the DC FanDome event going on right now. And a lot of news has come out of that. They released a new Wonder Woman 1984 trailer. 
Um, they announced that Ben Affleck is going to reprise his role as Batman in the Flash adaptation, the, the new Flash movie. And also, we learned earlier this summer that Michael Keaton's going to also reprise his role as Batman for the film. And now they've released a poster that shows his iconic Batman look alongside the Flash. So I'm not sure how that's going to work. It might be some like multiverse stuff with Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton's adaptations of Batman, both of them playing him. Didn't Ben Affleck say he was done? He did, but I guess uh, he lied. They just kept adding zeros until he was like, fine. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Um, also from the DC Fandom events, um, a Gotham Knights game has been announced from Warner Bros. Montreal, the studio who made the Batman Arkham Origins game, which was sort of a tie-in with the series from the Rocksteady games that I mentioned earlier. So, they're going back to the Gotham setting, and this game takes place after the death of Batman, and you play as Robin, Batgirl, Nightwing, and Red Hood. And the villain in this game is the Court of Owls from one of the more recent uh, comic runs for Batman. And I don't know a whole lot about the Court of Owls, but like from what I've heard, it's a super interesting setup. So I'll be interested to see more about that game. Red Hood is just edgy Robin, right? So is Nightwing. Oh, but no, Nightwing is like... Robin 2.0, Red Hood's like, fuck it, we're going guns. Yeah. Okay, sure. So <laughs> That's what I it looked it. like from the trailer. I mean, I think the trailer just came out today. Or maybe it was yesterday, but yeah. Also, a teaser has been put out for James Gunn's Suicide Squad reboot. God. And it showed off cast members. Uh, Margot Robbie's coming back as Harley Quinn. Idris Elba, Viola Davis, Nathan Fillion, Pete Davidson... John Cena and Peter Capaldi, who played the Doctor and Doctor Who. The the 12th Doctor? Am I right? Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because there's Tennant, then Smith. Yep. Yeah. Um, Who's Pete Davidson a... going to play? <laughs> it said in the trailer, it was a bunch of like comic book names that I'm not familiar with, so you'll have, oh, to, wait a you'll have to check out the teaser. Sorry, for some reason I was thinking of Pete Wentz, and I don't know what. Sorry. That'd be amazing. Oh my god. Like, what's he gonna do? <laughs> my um, bad. You can cut that out. <laughs> no, it's, I want to keep that in, actually. <laughs> um, also, last thing that I saw from the DC fandom uh, was the announcement of the Black Adam trailer, which was actually revealed by The Rock, who's playing Black Adam. You can just tell, like, DC... I don't know. I feel like DC is so inconsistent with their like current cinematic universe because they've got two different Jokers now, like three different Batman. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. It's not like one very continuous story like the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but I don't know. Just make interesting movies, and I won't complain. Yeah, I mean Dwayne Johnson, gr- cool dude, but he's like a B movie actor, so. Uh, yeah, he's he's the star of movies where the target audience is like. Okay, never mind. I'm not gonna say that. That would be insulting. I like. He's just kind of typecast as like like ex military guy with a big heart and big muscles and well yeah and of course big lack of acting ability. <laughs> Oof. Was he the most paid actor? <laughs> that really? wouldn't surprise me. I like mean, last like, year or two years ago. A lot of the movies he makes. Um, make a lot of money, so mm-hmm. I suppose he's an expensive asset. Good for him. But you don't see him in any like art 
indie movies or anything. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> bit of bit of shade there. Funny. I don't have his a problem with the rock. The... I just think he's found his lane and it suits it. That's all. Oh, yeah. He's gonna be in the next Parasite. <laughs> the Parasite sequel that we all know is coming. Yeah. I would love to see The Rock just trying to speak Korean. It'd be hilarious. <laughs> It'd be hilarious. That would be interesting. Very interesting. Uh, the last piece of news I've got here is, again, about Tenet, the upcoming Christopher Nolan release that I feel like I've been talking about in every episode of the podcast so far. Yes. The final trailer dropped today, and it plays a new Travis Scott song called The Plan. And another big piece of news is reviews are actually out for the movie now. It has an 80% average on Rotten Tomatoes, and it releases September 3rd, in quotes, where theaters are open. That's That was the exact um, wording in the new trailer. So. so like two places in the U.S. total. Yeah, maybe two places in the U.S. and then like the rest of the world who's actually gotten their shit together. So. Uh-huh. So no streaming. No, uh, no it, right it, won't be, it won't be streaming right away, right away it doesn't look like. And Got you. I, I'm so torn because I don't know how I'm going to experience this movie. I don't know if I'm just going to wait until it's streaming or like wait until theaters are open and safe again so I can like see it in IMAX, which is kind of how I wanted to experience this movie. But yeah, it's looking like that might not happen because, I mean, we still can't go to movie theaters. And even if we could, it wouldn't be a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. So, that's all the news I got. Anything you guys want to mention? Ah, not really. I think so. I saw that the French Dispatch is being postponed till twenty twenty one. Twenty twenty one. That kind of huh? bummed me out, but it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really, I want all of these movies to come out when I can see them in theaters, but right. who knows when that's gonna be? Exactly. It makes sense financially. Um, endist in terms of experience. Yeah. Because I don't want to watch that, like, on my iPhone. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So it makes sense. So a little bit of a transition into the things that actually are releasing. The Five Bloods, uh, Spike Lee's newest movie came out on Netflix a few months ago, and I finally got around to watching it before this podcast. I don't know if What'd I have think? a whole lot to say about it, but um, it features a great performance from Delroy Lindo. Uh, he plays a Vietnam veteran who is a MAGA hat toting masculine black man. And I think it's a super interesting characterization of like that type of person and the effects of war on your psyche. The movie overall was like good, not great in my opinion, but it definitely had some interesting ideas and Chadwick Boseman, who most people know as the black Panther played this ideal of black brotherhood they say in the movie he was our malcolm and our martin so it definitely um has an interesting exploration of ideas of like vietnam era racism um, not only in the u.s but also abroad and i really like how in spike lee's movies he like often edits in real footage and news to contextualize the movie as it's going on, and that's something he does really well in this movie, which I appreciated a lot. So check it out. Um, it's one of the few movies I've seen this year that came out this year, which is kind of a disappointing thing to say when we're already like three-quarters of the way through the year. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, that makes sense. 
even some of these movies are getting have you uh have you seen the like local theaters are putting up virtual cinema options kind of to see new releases what's the difference between that and streaming well it is streaming but you pay more and it counts as like a ticket at the so they can show off like new movies i assume yeah and the theater gets the money for it um, I know I know Harkins has been like in a lot of other chains are sort of sort of setting up like temporary drive-in setups for people to come in and and watch movies that way but mm-hmm. it's still not common enough that I really find it to be a super I mean convenient option I guess if one thing comes out of this pandemic and it's the return of drive-in theaters it's gonna be a win basically. yeah that's I, I can agree with that I think drive-in theaters are a cool experience yeah. Have you gone to a drive-in, Jacob? Yeah, since it's, it started. I, I saw Onward, and not since this started, but like right before. I saw Onward. Gotcha. It was pretty good. How was that? Yeah, I like that movie. Uh, the the drive-in theater, or the movie, or both. The drive-in theater. Uh it was kind of weird. It felt really like out of place, I guess, and like it was one of those experiences when, kind of like the parking lot of like a Target at like eleven o'clock at night, where it doesn't feel mm-hmm. real. Um, <laughs> but but it, it was fun um other than that kind of weird eerie feeling uh you just like they give you a radio station and you just turn your radio in your car to that station and then you could go inside a place to get concessions if you want that sounds pretty cool yeah, yeah. Try it i want to try it out too yeah you should so, do a field trip yeah <laughs> I mean, we'll meet you halfway. We yeah, we'll meet trip. you halfway. Totally. Mm-hmm. Meet up in like yeah. Nebraska. <laughs> you're not in Boston right now, are you? No, I'm in Chandler. Oh, well, then that's yeah. less of a, a halfway. Very doable. Very doable, yeah. Another recent release. I say recent. I mean, recent in terms of me actually getting around to it, but it came out months ago. Was Ghost of Tsushima. I mentioned it earlier in the news about the new update that they're bringing out, but I've just sort of. I uh, played a few hours of the game now, and I don't have a whole lot to say about it besides some basic impressions. It's visually very stunning. They really did a great job of capturing the sort of feudal Japan that we see in like classic samurai movies with the flowing leaves flying everywhere and the... What's the famous tree? Uh, the cherry tree? <laughs> yeah, like the cherry, cherry blossoms. blossoms. There you go. <laughs> cherry blossoms. And, like, I think... It's one of the prettiest games on current-gen uh, consoles. It performs okay on my like original PS4 that I use. And the combat in the game is super cool, and I still have a lot to unlock. You have different stances that you can get that, make the con- uh, that vary up the combat when you're facing different types of enemies. So, in that, so far, what I can tell is that it's a really solid samurai experience, but... After playing something like The Last of Us Part Two, the narrative just kind of can't possibly compare. <laughs> yeah. Jacob, you've you've like recently been playing through The Last of Us. You just got yeah. around to it, so do you want to share a few impressions, even uh, though I've already yeah. talked about it at length on the podcast? Sure. Um honestly, not as good as Last of Us Part One, my opinion. But You haven't finished it yet, disclaimer. Yeah, yes, I haven't finished it yet, disclaimer. Um I don't know, would you say like two thirds of the way through, three quarters? Yeah, I'd say you're probably about two-thirds of the way through. Yeah. Um, it's really good. It makes me feel weird feelings, <laughs> which is the 
purpose of things that are supposed to make you think and be emotional. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get all, like, spoilery, but... Yeah, no spoilers. If you want spoilers, you can listen to the full episode that I recorded, which is just me talking about spoilers for The Last of Us. I, now I gotta listen to that episode after I finish yeah. it, just to hear you talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Because you love my voice so much. Yeah, don't get enough of it. And the other thing that Jacob's here for, probably the main reason Jacob is here on this episode, yes. is we've both been playing Fall Guys, yes. which is the newest internet sensation. It's about a bunch of bean people on weird obstacle courses. Maggie called them minions, which they look a <laughs> lot. They look a lot like minions. But... They're comparable. They're like little <laughs> jelly bean guys that you can put different outfits on, and it's basically a battle royale where rather than fighting the other players in the match. It's just 60 of you going through obstacle courses and doing various team modes. And it's, like most Battle Royales, a last man standing thing. So you want to be the last person alive in this weird jelly obstacle bonanza. <laughs> yeah. It's like the show Wipeout, but just more. Wipeout, but sillier and with bean people. Yes. Even though Wipeout is not a super serious show. <laughs> no. It's, yeah, it's very hardcore. So, what do you think interests you the most about the game, Jacob? What's been bringing you back time and time again? Uh, what interests me the most is that I need to get at least one win before I give it up forever. Um, it's yeah. supposed to come to me. Um, but it can be kind of frustrating because I hate the team modes. Yeah. It, it's basically just like, if you're good but your teammate sucks, man, that sucks, bro. Uh, so... For those who haven't like seen any gameplay, um, some of the different things you can do are obstacle courses where you have to like jump over rotating platforms, and um, there are team modes where you have to like try to collect a bunch of eggs or grab tails off of people, and then you want to be one of the last people with a tail at the end of the round. I don't know, that one's kind of hard to describe. Without but... sounding really weird. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. did a great job. <laughs> Thank, you. <laughs> Thank you. There's like a soccer mode, and then um, usually when you're one of the last like eight-ish people it goes into like a final mode where it's just the last man standing one of them is uh there's like different levels of falling platforms kind of like tnt run back in the minecraft mini game days oh wow that, that mm -hmm. unlocked like a core memory amazing <laughs> yeah so it's got a lot of creativity i'm honestly surprised this game didn't already exist it's just such a simple solid idea that in execution is fun but yeah, kind of frustrating, especially when you lose just because you have incompetent teammates, which is honestly or the frustration like of into you. a lot of online games already. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yep, there's there's us talking about that thing that's super famous and big right now. <laughs> that was terrible. Okay, um, I think that's all Jacob's here to talk about. Do you want to plug your Twitter before you before you leave us, Jacob? No. No, I'm, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Uh, at Jacob, three underscores E. Three underscores. Don't yeah. forget it. It'll be four next time I come on. Just so get it in there while, while you're... Just keeps flexing on those underscores. Yeah. It'll be yeah. like nine underscores in like a month. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Jacob. Yeah. Viewers, stick around. Ian and I are going to talk about two movies that mean a lot to us in our first movie swap. Movie swap. So the movie swap is 
Not an original idea. It's something that they do on the big picture Sean Fennessy's movie podcast for The Ringer. But I thought it was a cool idea, and so we're stealing it. Uh, <laughs> we both chose a movie that is important to us that the other person has not seen or had not seen. We traded Blu-rays, and I gave Ian No Country to, uh, for Old Men because it's a movie that's in my top five of all time, I think. It's an incredible movie, and Ian hadn't yet seen it. And Ian, what's the movie that you gave me? I gave you my Criterion Collection Blu-ray copy of Rushmore, Wes Anderson's second movie. Second um, full film, yeah, I think. Second, if you, yeah. If you don't include the original version of Bottle Rocket, right? Oh, yeah, that short? Yeah. No, second feature. Right. Um, it was and... co-written by Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that one, uh, that was, and that might be the the movie that got me into movies. Um, I watched that in high school and definitely stuck out to me. And it's a super stylish, really funny movie. So I thought Cade might enjoy it. Spoiler. You were right. I enjoyed this movie. It was really good. What about this movie? I mean, you say it got you into film, which is pretty big praise. Like, what about this movie was so influential for you? Well, I'm sure this isn't actually the case, but the way I remember it is that it's one of those movies where there's like a before watching it and then there's an after watching it. Before watching it, all movies to me seemed just like there were typical like frames and cuts and the director's like hand wasn't really involved other than to show what was happening um between characters no real like there was definitely mood but not a big mood um not very stylish i'm sure this is like painting in broad strokes because if i went back i'd notice a lot more things now but then i saw rushmore and i saw the way that wes anderson directs and I, um, I was just really attracted to that so, and the way he frames things. And his... so basically, what you're saying is it was your introduction to auteur cinema, right? Yeah, pretty much. Someone with a distinct style that you can point to and say that's their movie. Right, and I think, lo- like looking back on it, that's probably how a lot of people get into, like, really into films as as a hobby, as a career, is when they start to see not just what's on the screen, but, like, relate that to their uh, familiarity with the work of, like, that director or that editor or that cinematographer and being able to sort of see the process of making the movie through the movie, if that makes any sense. No, totally. It's like if you just listen to, like, elevator music your whole life and then you found an artist you really liked and you could attach to their albums and find their own sound. It's pretty similar to that, um, in a way. So I really, I was drawn to the visuals, but also his, like, really unique sense of humor comes across a lot in that movie. And his, uh, his dialogue also. Yeah, I, just for a little background, I have only really seen one other Wes Anderson movie before this. I've seen Moonrise Kingdom a couple of times. And I suppose mm-hmm. I've seen part of Fantastic Mr. Fox on TV once, but I really don't remember anything about it, so I'm not counting that. Mm-hmm. So, 
even though I've only really seen one Wes Anderson movie, I feel like you get it. After you've seen one Wes Anderson movie, you get his style because it's so unique and different from everything else you've seen. Right. Exactly. He stays very true to that style, um, yeah. even though he changes locations and characters and time periods. But it all remains like pretty quintessentially Wes Anderson. Right. And the things we mean by that are like a bunch of different filmmaking flourishes, like having vibrant colors in the costumes and settings. I mean, just looking at stills from Wes Anderson movies, you can usually just tell by looking at the set design using these like incredibly bright colors on the walls and in the costumes. And also there Mm -hmm. are a lot of interesting um, camera choices, like having overhead shots of a room, like looking down on people. These are things that come up all the time in Wes Anderson movies. I would name more, but I haven't seen a lot of Wes Anderson movies and it's been a while since I like studied him. So. Right. I feel like that sort of gets across the idea. Yeah, definitely. Um, also, his love for Futura, the font, is pretty. Uh, it's pretty apparent <laughs> right from the start. Yeah. Um, and that continued with him for his first couple movies. So it's just little details like that where you notice things and you see how they've influenced pop culture um, since they came out. Right. Like you could trace Wes Anderson's style in things like. Like Vampire Weekend, for example, with their album cover art. Mm-hmm. And even like their lyrical content is pretty Wes Anderson. Um, so it's just it's a fun it's a fun little group of movies to get really into. Right. And I feel like it's a great introduction for somebody who's not super familiar with the auteur theory or auteur cinema in general, to be able to say, You watch two of these movies and you will understand the vision of this director. Like, it'll be so much different from everything else you've seen. I feel like that's just such a strong example. I mean, I don't think there's anybody I can name off the top of my head who is so visually distinct as Wes Anderson. I can't either, honestly. And there are things, like, when I watched my first Tarantino movie, which was actually last summer, Hmm. um, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, where I'd heard so much about him. And I'd already been so into Wes Anderson that when I saw that movie, it didn't seem as, like, like straightforwardly unique to me. But over time, I watched more Tarantino's, and his uh, his threads are a lot more subtle. Right. They're there, but they're more... They don't hit you immediately, like with a Wes Anderson movie, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, it kind of can't be as obvious as it is in a Wes Anderson movie, I guess. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm glad you liked it. Um, yeah, so it was also go ahead. It was also one of those movies I watched at the perfect age, right? To where I could relate and cringe with <laughs> uh, Max Fisher, the main character. Yeah, I was gonna bring up Jason Schwartzman's performance as Max Fisher because mm-hmm. I've I looked down his IMDb page and that is his first credit and what a flex <laughs> that this is. <laughs> Starring in a Wes Anderson movie alongside Bill Murray and Olivia Williams. That's pretty incredible. And the way he's so confident in this role kind of blew me away. Uh-huh. It does not feel like an actor's first work. Not at all. It's huge. He becomes that character, absolutely. Yeah. Do you know how old he was? How old was he? I know he like the character was 15, right? 
Rhett, but Jason? I don't. Do you know? No, I'm going to look it up. Because I feel like he's he's definitely not 15 when he's acting. No, he was born in 1980, and the movie came out in 98, so he was about 18. 18. Yeah. Oh, interesting. That's younger than I thought he'd be. Really? I mean, yeah, he did look kind of old, but... Yeah. (laughs) It was... No, he's great. Very strong performance, and he's shown up in a lot of Wes Anderson's work after that movie. He's kind of one of the regular cast of Wes Anderson actors alongside, like, Owen Wilson and Bill Murray. Yeah. Yeah. The Darjeeling Limited um, is another one of his big ones. That's him and Owen Wilson and Adrian Brody. Yep. A great, great cast. Here's a bit of a tangent, but have you seen The Pianist with Adrian Brody? No, not yet. No. I'm ashamed. I have a hard time for the obvious reasons talking about like Roman Polanski movies. Right. Cause you have to, there's always that big disclaimer that like, this is a terrible person that made this. And yet the three mm-hmm. Roman Polanski movies I've seen have all been like masterful. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. It goes back to that discussion of like, can you separate the art from the artist? And for the sake of those movies, I certainly try to because they're really good movies. And by the way, those other two are um, Rosemary's Baby and Chinatown. So some classics. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Yeah, I've seen Rosemary's Baby. I watched that one a couple months ago. Oh yeah. What did you? Kind what of did you think? Went into that. Um, it was. I thought it was good. It's definitely good. I don't think it was my favorite movie of all time. Gotcha. But no, it was. It was quality. I really liked. Um, the uh, sense of paranoia that it captured right to the point where i like i wasn't even sure (laughs) like i questioned if it was true or not Mm -hmm. kind of the whole time um then you find out at the end but yeah it wasn't classically horror right kind of expected right i went into it with a pretty blank slate honestly i didn't know anything about roman polanski Uh um until i was researching it after but no it was good Chinatown's been on my list, but it's also just hard. It's hard to separate. Right, exactly. The art from the artist. So, back to Rushmore, I guess. Um, You mentioned uh, Wes Anderson's style of comedy, and that definitely came across in Moonrise Kingdom, which was the other one I'd seen before. But I was honestly shocked by how funny this movie was. Like, there Mm -hmm. were several times where I laughed out loud at Rushmore. I think one um, line specifically that I loved was, I like your nurse's outfit guy. And then uh, Luke Wilson saying, these are OR scrubs. Oh, are they? (laughs) After he's got his drink. Yeah. (laughs) For some reason, the line I always come back to is in the same scene. It's, uh, I wrote a hit play. (laughs) And I just always think of that. Yeah. I don't know why. Yeah. I mean, the absurd to that. productions that Max puts on throughout the movie are really funny. I mean, like, he's yeah. got, like, police uh, procedurals going on on stage, and there's the <laughs> Vietnam epic <laughs> exactly. at the end of the movie. Oh, God, it's Everybody puts incredible. on goggles. Yeah. <laughs> like, earmuffs. Yeah. So, yeah, this no, movie managed to be... I mean, I enjoyed it a lot, and it also managed to be one of my favorite comedies of all time, so. Wow. Big claim. Yep, it definitely I can't disagree. exceeded my expectations. I'm very, very glad. 
one more thing. Yeah. Um, I was like doing a tiny bit of research before recording the podcast just so I could be a little more educated when talking about the movie. And I mean, this isn't something I picked up on a first viewing, but the different parts of the movie are literally color coded based on Max's arc throughout the film. Like each of the inner titles introducing the new seasons shows off in the curtains the color that is going to be dominant throughout that throughout that month and um like it goes for like a deep red when he falls in love with the uh second grade teacher character what's her name uh mr mrs cross or miss cross i suppose played by olivia williams <laughs> uh and it goes to blue when he is uh basically rejected by her and it, all of the characters are going through phases of loneliness so there's mm-hmm. just so much intent behind each of those decisions in the mise-en-scene for Wes Anderson's work. And that, I, again, it's not something I picked up on the first viewing, but reasons to go back to these movies over and over again. Right. Yeah, there's more that I pick up each time that I watch it, and I've seen it quite a bit. Um, but in that way, I guess it's kind of a nod to French New Wave. Right. Doing the whole color-coded kind of sectioning off the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, into months or chapters so he pulls a lot from that for sure Very i haven't Godard seen influence. a lot of french new wave but it's definitely something i'd like to watch more of i mean like godard like you mentioned for sure mm-hmm. some truth truffaut truffaut yeah Truf- francois <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah no it's incredible i'm glad you liked it uh-huh um one last note before we move on to no country is I maybe the main takeaway from this movie for me moving forward is how successful it was at conveying themes of loneliness and yet coming off in such a joyful and celebratory tone. Do you know what I mean by that? Like, yeah, absolutely. It was such a joyful movie despite its content. And right. That's definitely something that I haven't seen as much in movies and that really was really meaningful to me, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's a that might be a bit of a common I don't know if it's common, but I could see like a critic pointing at a Wes Anderson movie and uh challenging it for not going deep necessarily because it doesn't have these like huge heavy moments. Mm-hmm. Um they're rare. But that's why I think upon further viewing, you pick up more on the characters and their emotions because they are so masked by his style and he does keep it very light um and it's fun to watch right which is why you like it the first time i think yeah because i mean that whole struggle between bill murray's character and jason schwartzman's character Mm -hmm. is pretty intense they're (laughs) out for blood they're trying to like murder literally trying to drop a tree on them (laughs) yeah (laughs) it's stung by bees but (laughs) yeah there's like it's it also is achieved by I think the music mm-hmm. he chooses to put in during those montages. It's very uh, like sixties, seventies inspired folk rock. Yeah, they really keeps it light. Get across the absurdism that contextualizes all of those like kind of insane events in a whimsical and silly way that kind of maintains the lighthearted tone throughout the movie. Right, because at the end of the day, he is fifteen years old. Yeah, <laughs> so this is kind of a kind of a lovelorn right adventure just for a basically kid yeah yeah it's nothing too serious 
So, are you ready to move on to No Country for Old Men? I am ready. Alright, this is the movie that I gave to Ian to watch. It is directed by the Coen brothers, written by the Coen brothers, based on a Cormac McCarthy novel of the same name. Uh, it stars Tommy Lee Jones, Javier Bardem, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson. I mean, that's a pretty impressive cast. Javier Bardem is gives probably my favorite performance of his in this movie. I'd honestly say the same about Josh Brolin. I think uh, Llewellyn Moss is such an interesting character in this movie. Before I go any further, what were your overall impressions of No Country for Old Men? Um, the first half of the movie, I was I was just taking it in. Mm-hmm. Um, I was basically just experiencing it. Didn't really have any opinions. But by the end, the second half of the movie, I fell in love with it. I think it was so excellent at at leaving you with a message, which I feel I feel like movie makers can kind of shy away from that because mm-hmm. it might be a little bit embarrassing or kind of cliche. But there is like a clear there are a couple clear messages that I got from the movie, and they were all really impactful and really like refreshing to uh, to pick up on. Right. So I think that was really cool. The performance is also amazing. So I really enjoyed following these three characters of uh, Ed Tom Bell, Anton Shiger, and Llewellyn Moss. Yeah. It's rare to find a movie have three convincing characters. Um, and I feel like the Coen brothers played around with them really well and kind of gave them, each of them their own spotlight. Yeah, they each kind of. certain points represented something different too like tommy lee jones i mean and take this with a grain of salt because i'm sort of ripping it off from wisecracks philosophy of no country for old men youtube video but tommy lee jones represents this like classic western hero like the black and white fully good um embodiments of the law and uh, all that is good with civilization whereas javier bardem is on the other end of the spectrum he's this like neo-western agent of chaos and then in the middle is josh brolin's character llewellyn moss who's this uh representation of revisionist uh westerns as well as film noir he's very morally ambiguous um he's just an opportunist doing what he can in the movie to get money with no like obvious uh morality one way or the other right yeah, you kind of root for him, right. but you're not sure why. <laughs> it's like Because you don't bad. know anything about him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You only kind of see him interact with his girlfriend or wife, partner. Um, Carla Jean. Yeah, and you get some context about their past um, based on her mom's impression of him. <laughs> um, which becomes pretty clear. But, yeah, you want him to escape the so obvious evil of Anton, Mm -hmm. but you recognize that he has his own faults. And for me, the character of Ed, the the old sheriff, you could see that maybe I saw him as this this figure that had moved on from the past, Mm -hmm. from like the quote unquote simpler times um, of being a sheriff. Because he says at the beginning of the movie that some sheriffs used to not even carry guns around. Right. It's which just... is like, 
So much about yeah. so much of the movie is about like the passage of time and the evolution of like the West, the law, and the sort of brutality that he wasn't familiar with in his earlier days as a sheriff or as a policeman. Right. And then he's kind of he's offset by his assistant or his partner. Right. That he's seen with a lot in the movie, who's very enthusiastic. He shows up to crimes and he's like, How are we gonna solve this? Mm-hmm. what's going on and then ed is just sitting back um yeah he's the wisest tired old man yeah i think he suggests they roast weenies on that burning <laughs> car yeah at the beginning yeah so it's just moments like that where you can tell that this guy's tired um mm-hmm. and then obviously that comes out in the conversation that he has with his relative uh near the end mm-hmm. yeah so I thought he was a very interesting character to follow. And then his like ending monologue about his dream. Not going to spoil anything. Except I guess I just spoiled that he makes it to the end of the movie. I mean, <laughs> we're, this, this discussion is spoiler heavy. I probably should right. have said so at the beginning. But like we're talking about why we like these movies so much. I feel like spoilers are fair, fair ground. And I'm probably one of the, the few people that hasn't seen this movie. Um... Because I was telling people throughout the week, like, oh, yeah, I got to watch No Country for Old Men. And they all, like, were like, oh, okay. And they told me their opinion of it. And yeah. Like, really? You've seen this? Um, also, that pressurized gun yeah. <laughs> that Anton carries around um, is very, very Lynchian, I must, I must say. Really? If I'm going to be super film pretentious and use that word, <laughs> it was pretty Lynchian. Um, reminded me a lot of Blue Velvet and uh, interesting, and uh, one of the characters in that movie. We'll all have but to see it's... Blue Velvet to to know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think you ought to. But it's the kind of uh, like prop that doesn't ever get any explanation. Right. It's just there, and it's weird, and it throws a wrench in the scenes. But you know exactly what's coming when you see it. I think that I know, sort it's... of speaks to like what makes this movie interesting and how unconventional uh, unconventional it is. Because, I mean, the protagonist that you're following throughout the first half of the movie dies off screen. Right. And... Which was really kind of hard to believe. Yeah. Because you'd been following him and you're used to seeing what happens to him. Right. Because it's a movie and he's supposedly the main character. But, no, I thought that was a really interesting choice. Mm-hmm. And then the bad guy gets away in the end. Right. But in that, in his escape, you see a deeper part of him. In that scene where he's just been in the car wreck and the kid offers to give him his shirt, um, but he makes the kid take money for it. Right. It's like any sense of goodness or good deed just goes out the door for this guy. It's all about pay things in money. Pay things in money or blood. And then he just stumbles off screen and that was also very powerful yeah the last 30 minutes or so of this movie it's uh it's crazy it all comes together (laughs) and it's so beautiful when it does and i love that he has this philosophy of like leaving everything to fate and then he gets in a car accident at the end of the movie oh true it's like such a perfect like irony yeah so his life was essentially left up to the coin toss of whether he could survive the car crash or not exactly not even he was immune to his own uh, his own games. philosophy of yeah yeah exactly also that scene of the 
when he goes into that convenience store mm-hmm. was pretty hilarious to me. Yeah, I think the Coen brothers have a really interesting sense of humor and their dialogue fits the tone of this movie really well. And like usually their their movies are more lighthearted, but I felt like it took on new meaning in the way it was used in this film. Mm-hmm. The only other I've seen is Inside Llewyn Davis. Oh, Which and... Which is uh, another great movie. And... The one with George Clooney um, and... Uh, God. <laughs> Hail Caesar and the one with George... Oh, brother, where are Yeah, thou? oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, brother, where art thou? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I gotcha. And they're all very different movies. Yeah, they are. So I'm, ex- I'm excited to dive in more. I've seen them. most of their movies by now, I think. I mean, Fargo's mm-hmm. another great one. Big Lebowski, Raising Arizona. What else? Uh, A Serious Man is one I've seen. Burn After Reading. Oh, they did Burn After know. Reading? Yeah. Interesting. I haven't seen that, but... Um, have you... Did you watch The Ballad of Buster Skaggs? Buster Scruggs, yeah. Buster... <laughs> yeah, Buster Scruggs. Yeah, I watched that one on Netflix. What'd you think? Um, you, like, how much do you know about it? Because it's not really a conventional movie. It's more of an anthology. It tells, like, six different stories. Mm-hmm. It's the vignettes. Vignettes? Vignettes, yeah. How do you pronounce that? Vignette? Yeah. Pretty sure. <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't seen that yet, but I've heard good things. It is I liked some of the stories more than other ones, I guess. It sort of averaged out to, like, a three or a three and a half star movie to me, I guess. Oh, interesting. To assign a number to it. Right. I'm sure it's all um, the Coen brothers' aspect factors in. Right. They've made such great uh, features. Um, God, I don't know what else to say about No Country. It's. I feel like it's a movie that I've. I appreciate because I know there's so much to unpack and. I've only seen it twice, so there's still a lot of meaning that I haven't even reached yet. But it's one that I feel rewarded every time I go back to it because it's just so tightly plotted and every scene is incredibly intense and intriguing. And I love the I love the simplicity of things like him just saying, There's no fucking way when <laughs> when he found <laughs> when he keeps getting found by Anton Chigurh and then he's compelled to look for the tracking device in the bag of money yeah there's just so much about this movie that is so smart and i love it there really is and that's why i think i need to rewatch this one uh too uh-huh. seems like that kind of movie well unless there's anything left to say i i think that's the end of our movie swap segment yeah i think we covered it I'd say Definitely it was a not. success. Yeah. No, it was great. We should do that again. Yeah, for sure. I've got plenty of movies to show you. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> you too. So are you ready for... Gaglines? Yeah, let's get into it. I'm, uh, I'm not holding back any punches. Oh, God. <laughs> after last time. Let's see how high I can get on the scoreboard. I mean, I know I gave you Pulp Fiction, which was unfair, so <laughs> I'm scared. <laughs> Yeah, these are... You shouldn't have too much trouble, actually. But again, it's a hard game. Yeah, for listeners who don't know, Gaglines is a game where we uh, list off movie taglines and then use those to try to guess the movie. So, Ian will be quizzing me today, 
which means he will give me taglines from three different movies, and I will have to try to guess those movies. Mm-hmm. Sounds good. You ready? I'm ready. Should we explain the, the point system? Uh, sure. So the first movie has uh, five taglines. The second movie he gives me will have three, and then the last one will have only one tagline. And uh, for each tagline he reads off before I guess it, I will get one less point, which sounds convoluted, but it's really not. Basically, if I guess it on the first tagline he gives me, I'll get five points. Then if I get it on the second one, I'll get four points. If I get it on the third one, I'll get three points, etc. And then on the second uh, second movie, it'll be five, three, one in terms of the points. And then the last movie will just be three points, all or nothing. All right. Works for me. Ready for uh, for movie number one? Let's hear it. All right. Tagline. Come fly with me. Hmm. Come fly with me. I'm going to say airplane. False. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's that's very vague. That's, I'm not sure how this relates to the movie, but... Gotcha. I'm just returning the favor, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, next tagline. Jaws will drop. Jaws will drop. And come fly with me. Uh, Toy Story. Nope. Dang. Number three. You've never seen fish prepared like this. <laughs> You've never seen fish prepared like this. Is this, like, actually part of the story of the movie, or is it, like, really unrelated? Um, it depends on how you think of it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Think of it. You've never seen it. fish prepared like this. Figuratively. These are prepared oh. fish. Huh. Um, <laughs> shark tail. Nope. I guess that's not really thinking of it figuratively, but <laughs> let's continue. All right. Next tagline. Grab shell, dude. Finding Nemo? Correct. There Damn you go. Damn it. Why didn't I say that on the last one? I know. Ah, shark tail. Shoot. Shark you tail. Shark tail before Nemo. Nemo. <laughs> God Interesting. Damn. Ugh. Interesting. All right, well, that's, that says that's about two you. points, right? Two points. All right. How many did I get last time? Three, I believe. I think you Three. got two, two on the first one and one on the second one. Missed the last one, yeah. Right. All right. Um, next movie. Tagline. Every day they sit and wait, but when we're away, their adventure begins. Toy Story. Nope. Good Damn. guess, though. <laughs> Two, a timeless feud, a forbidden love, an epic battle. Nomeo and Juliet. Correct. Oh my god. <laughs> Good job. <laughs> what gave it away? A timeless feud, a forbidden love? A timeless feud, forbidden love. I was thinking like, okay, Romeo and Juliet. And you said they sit and wait. So I was thinking like mm -hmm. the Toy Story mixed with Romeo and Juliet. There you go. Nomeo and Juliet. Man, you're good at this. Uh, thank you. <laughs> my last tagline... <laughs> It would have given it away. It's the greatest love story you have ever known. So, <laughs> that's gotcha. That's as as close as it gets. All right, I'm so pretty proud of points. that one. Yeah, Not good job. Lie. Good job. Already in the lead. Mm-hmm. Of your own game. Yeah, that's that's fair. <laughs> All right, you ready for the the finale? I'm ready. Okay, here it goes. Getting back was only the beginning. Getting back was only the beginning. Okay. 
I think I'm ready to make a guess. Go for it. I'm going to say Back to the Future. Final answer? Yep. Oh, you're so close. It's Back to the Future Part 2. Oh, man. Yep. <laughs> oh, that sucks. Yep. It's oh, so... Well. That was a good guess, but the, the <laughs> it does imply a sequel in the tagline. Yeah, I guess. Getting back yeah, I guess it was does. only the beginning. So yeah, Damn. good job. Thank you. Nice Thank try. You. Um, impressive. I feel like I did pretty well. No, you should be proud of your performance. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna have to put myself on that leaderboard right at the top. Yep. You just keep a, a whiteboard. I just have a Google Doc. (laughs) Oh, yeah. No, no, no. Totally. It's framed. Uh, Framed board over my bed. Kid (laughs) Marks. August 22nd, 2020. Don't forget it. Best day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, Well, this has been The Week Critique. Thank you so much for joining me, Ian. Thanks for having me. Uh, Viewers, listeners, thank you so much for listening. Please write in to theweekcritique at gmail.com with any feedback or ideas or anything you'd like us to talk about on the show. Um, you can find me at uh, at Cade Marks on Twitter or Cinemarks on Letterboxd if you want to see more of my impressions and reviews for movies. Where can the people find you, Ian? Um, you can find me on Instagram at in.grhm. Sounds good. Well... Mm-hmm. Thanks again, and to everybody listening, have a great... Nope, gotta figure out a different outro. God, this is so hard. (laughs) Um, Have a good time. Oh, God. Um, um, (laughs) And until the next one, goodbye. (laughs) No, I like that. (laughs) 